Praise God. Man, your pastor really knows how to lead worship, man. He's excellent. Powerful. Uh, some of those uh, older songs have romantic memories for me and the Lord. Uh, you know, when you have a song that the Lord touches you while that song is going on, or you've been alone with the Lord and you hear that song, the Lord ministers to you. There's like connection with those songs. Some of those songs are very romantic for me. It was hard to not start crying. Um, but I have a specific word for you tonight. I, I'm happy to share the scriptures. I don't have a higher joy in my life than what I find in the text. What I find in, in this book right here, it's like I opened up this book and it's opening a window to see the world to come. To see Christ himself with all of his shining splendor, with the, the majesty and glory of his name and his goodness. I can see it right here in the, in the text with the, the Holy Spirit causing it to come alive. I had a couple preliminary thoughts, if that's okay, and then we'll jump into the word. I felt while I was praying for you guys earlier uh, that if you have in your life a, a difficulty getting still, Getting still. You know, quietness is the absence of external noise. But stillness is the absence of internal noise. So if you have a hard time in your life getting still, I want to uh, tell you where that comes from. It, it comes from, one of the things that it comes from is overstimulation. The more stimulated you find yourself, the harder you find it to get quiet on the inside or still on the inside or to stop the scatteredness. And the being spread thin up here in the mind. The overstimulation, it, it, it kills the receptivity of the soul. It, it, it blocks your perception of divine things. God says to us in, in Psalm 46, be still and know. The knowing comes from a quietness or a, a, an internal absence of noise. It is quiet on the inside. That's how we come to know the Lord. Uh, there's a There's a what would you call it? A singularity, a singleness, just you, Lord. That is the secret to David's finding of God. He actually says in Psalm 62, I believe, he says, my soul waits in silence for God alone. A-L-O-N-E, God alone. That's the secret word. Some of us are waiting for God and. <laughs> no, waiting for God alone. It's just you, my Lord. It is single-heartedness towards him. That is that stillness. Stillness and singleness are married. <laughs> the, the, the singleness meaning singularity, one thing. Uh, so what, what happens a lot of times when we have a hard time getting still is the overstimulation kills or overstimulation kills the receptivity and the perception of God in our lives. So I would encourage you, if that's you in your life, you know, we've all been through different seasons like that, but distill your life. I would encourage you to reduce your life to, uh, to up the proof, if you will, of your experience of God, a, like a distillation, a distilling of yourself and a reduction of yourself. One, one lady said it to me like this. She said, men don't acquire faith. They're reduced to it. You think about all that that means. You don't, it's not something you reach for and you grab. You give up into it. You, it's surrendered into. Faith is, I have 
Nothing that makes any sense but you. Everything else is worthless to me. It's high value of, of the Lord. Um, even as you, uh, the, the other day I was thinking of these two R words that really helped me. These are preliminary thoughts, but they, they're helpful um, for me anyways. Hopefully they're helpful for you too. <laughs> but uh, a realization and recognition, two R words, R and R. Um, realization is defined as that the apprehension of something, to grab a hold of something, realization. And then recognition, obviously everybody understands that, to recognize something. And I would encourage you to, to see it like this, that the realization of the presence of the Lord comes through recognition of it. You say, what is that? How, how do you, I don't understand how that works. If you want to apprehend, touch, taste the realized presence of the Lord, it comes by recognizing it. Tozer said it like this. He said, some Christians believe that God is there. Others believe God is here. There's a complete difference. You know, Jacob has this incredible revelation when he lays his head upon the stone. When he lays his head upon the rock, which is very symbolic. Christ is our rock. And when we rest upon Christ, our eyes open up. And what does he see? He sees the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. In other words, there's a the realization through a recognition of the Lord, he put his head on the rock and he realizes God's presence. So I just want to encourage you guys with a couple of these things because a lot of people have a hard time living by the experience of God's presence. But that's Christianity. You know, Christianity is not a thing of times and seasons of experiencing God. Christianity is living inside of a continuous, glorious experience of God. God doesn't touch and go, touch and go. He's here and you can have as much of him as you desire. And most people have such a hard time drinking and, and eating the Lord. So, so many people have such a hard time experiencing the Lord that it's almost as if they have to uh, have some type of a supernatural overwhelming moment in order for them to touch or experience the Lord instead of going into that. Like I, by choice, go to experience God. You know, that as the scriptures show us, that we can actually experience the Spirit at any time. Paul says it like this. He says, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit, but the Spirit. In other words, his attention is upon the presence of the Spirit. I don't know how to pray, but I can give attention to the Spirit. And that's the movement of, the, of God in our lives, the attentiveness to his presence. That's just, it's, it's everything. If, and if your life, wherever you're at, and I know there's people in this room that have been walking like this longer than I have, uh, but those of you that are in this room that you don't know this reality, you're living short of what the new covenant desire, designed and desires for you. Uh, to live by a continuous, a, a glorious, blissful, all-satisfying exchange with God that so fulfills the heart that the longings for other things are gone. Because you're tasting of, of, of something that comes from above. You see, the joys of the earth are inconsistent as the earth. But the joys that come from heaven are as consistent of, as Christ himself, who never changes and is always able to be listened to and experienced. So R and R. But I want, I'll show you a couple of things to put your mind upon in order to experience God's presence. How many know that it is when you put faith in the word that you pass into experience? You believe what the scripture says, and it's almost as if, uh, let, let me put it to you like this. All right, let's say this bottle right here was, <clears throat> I told you that this bottle is full of, of, of uh, gas, okay? Uh, let's say tear gas. I said, this bottle's full of tear gas. 
You'd be like, ha it's here every week. I know it's full of oil. And that's what you'd think. And then if I threw it down on the ground, you'd be like, oh man, what a guy. He, that, was, that, was, that was dumb. He just made a mess for us to clean up, right? Because you know what this really is. You don't believe me. I'm telling you it's tear gas. You don't believe me. So if I brought this in myself, you don't know me, and it looks like tear gas, and it says tear gas on the bottle, and I put a little bit out in the room, and it makes everybody over here start, you know, teary-eyed, and then I'm saying, I'm going to throw this in the middle of the room. It's tear gas. Everybody would respond and leave. The reason why is because you believe me. Are you following what I'm saying? If you don't believe me, what I tell you has no power. But if you believe me, then what I tell you will have power. So it is with the scriptures. If you read this book and don't believe it, it won't move you. You'll be like, oh, cool. That's great. It stays in the realm of Santa. But if you believe the book, you believe what it says, that's when you touch its power. That's when it starts coming alive to you. I put my trust in this. This is what makes sense to me. This is what is real to me. Not even what I see. It's what I read in here. What God has revealed to me. That is the foundation of experiencing God. I believe this. As they, the old church used to say, fact, faith, feeling. And you need all of these F words. <laughs> you need all of them in, in a row. Fact first. Faith into feeling. You can't just stop at fact you got to put faith in the fact. And then faith, real faith in the fact, always produces feeling. Are you following? All the F words have to go together. And that's Christianity. I have facts right here from God. I put my faith in those facts, and I enter into the feeling of those facts. Are you following me? So uh, let's look at one of these. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verse 22. We'll just look at a couple of them for you to put your faith in. Put your trust in. Say, Lord, this is what I believe. This is what I put my trust in. I surrender everything to this. Uh, um, so did I say 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. The scripture says this. Now he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Oh my goodness. He gave to you the Spirit into your heart as a pledge. It's the down payment of what is coming. In other words, it's the, as Fanny Crosby would say, the foretaste of glory divine. You have the ability to taste what is coming. The world to come that is free from oppressions. The world to come that has the radiance and splendor and excellencies of Jesus illuminating it. The world to come that has heaven as heaven, the heaven of heaven. That world to come, you can taste it now. Why? Because the Spirit has been given to you as a down payment, the taste of the world to come. And it's in your heart. That right there, that truth right there is something that we need to recognize and then we'll realize. Do you know what I'm saying? Put faith in that. And you, you, you say, Eric, what does that look like? You wake up in the morning, you don't feel like praying, you don't feel anything at all whatsoever. You remind yourself of these things. God has given me his spirit in my heart to taste the world to come. I believe that. Father, I thank you. 
I thank you for that, God. That's the reality that's even greater than what I, I sense right now. And I will put faith in that and that will pass me into the reality of that. And before you know it, as you keep this thing in your heart going around, as, you, as we say meditation on the word, as you meditate upon the word, you start tasting it. And you're like, ooh, you know, when you put food in your mouth, it's, you can taste it at the beginning, but when you start chewing it, the juices start bursting out. That's what meditation does. So you take the scripture that he's given me his spirit in my heart as a down payment, a foretaste of glory divine. You put it in your mouth just right there. And then you start thinking about that. He's given me. He has given it to me. It's a gift. I didn't earn it. He gave it to me. The spirit. What is that? The, the presence of God is a foretaste of the world to come. It's in me right now. You're meditating upon it. It's the juices start bursting on your tongue. And before you know it, you start saying, oh, I worship you. I praise you. I honor you. I give you praise. Oh, there's nobody like you. And you begin to sense that he's lifting you up from the lower things. He's pulling you up into the upper world. And you're beginning to think differently. You see things differently. And though nothing has changed from 701 to 706, everything is different. Are you following me? Recognizing brings realizing R&R. So I want to encourage you guys to some (laughs) R&R because it's just, it's something that we need this in our lives. Charles Spurgeon, he once wrote that reading is gathering the grapes, but meditation is putting them in your mouth. You know, some people just read the Bible and that's okay. You're gathering something, but what do you gather it for? To be able to eat it. Meditation gets the thing into you. Meditation is what David lived by. You know, meditation is the lover's way. You know, when two people fall in love, they're meditating upon one another. They're always thinking of one another. Meditation is the lover's way. Turn over to to, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5. Let's look at another one. These are so powerful. They're worth just staring at for a little while. This one is uh, verse five of the fifth chapter. Now he who prepared us for, look at this. He who prepared us for this very purpose, for this very purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Two times, same book. He's reminding them of this golden truth. The spirit is in you given to you, not earned by you, not earned by you. If you think you're going to do something by your own efforts to obtain more of the spirit, then you've fallen into the Galatian error. Paul tells the Galatians in chapter three, he says, how did you receive the spirit? Was it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? (laughs) What's he saying? He's saying, you think that you, you can do something. It's because of Jesus that you get this. It's not because of you. You know, the the one work that you can put your faith in is the work that is better than what Jesus did on the cross. If you can think of something better than what Jesus did on the cross, that's a work you can put trust in. But there's no work better than Jesus, so our only work becomes this. I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in you. Praise God. So let's look at another one. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Is this okay? I haven't even gotten really to what I wanted to talk about. This is all preliminary. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 13. In him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance 
with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The, the spirit has been given as a pledge, as a pledge. We need this to be ingrained in our brains. May it be the way of our hearts to realize the Holy Spirit is given freely to me as my tasting of the world to come. He's the one who makes Jesus absolutely real to me. He, he's the one who makes me hear Christ and see Christ with my spiritual eyes. It's the spirit that illuminates the eyes of the heart. You know your, your heart has eyes. As Ephesians says that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. To see Jesus, to perceive him on the inside, to sense him. God makes himself edible, sensible, tangible in the spirit. Praise God. And this is given to you. All right, those are my preliminary thoughts. <laughs> and now we'll get to a really short message. It's two points. Uh, you know, if you know the word waste, <laughs> the word waste is easy. Everybody understands that, right? You take a steak, a Wagyu piece of beef, and you give it to some, an ant pile. You'd be like, you just wasted that steak. <laughs> right? If you take pearls, as Jesus would say, and you give them to swine, you're wasting why? Because you're giving something that's superior to something inferior that doesn't, you know, it's just, it's a waste. In that way, God has wasted his son on us. He has given his perfect, glorious, spotless, blameless, just wonderfully, he's the greatest being in the entire universe God gave him for us. And in that way, also, nothing that you give to Christ can ever be wasted. Because he is that superior to us. So the, the message that I have for you is two points, and it's Christ's all-sufficiency. The first point is this. What does it mean to come to me? And the second point is, what does it look like to come to Jesus? First point, let's look at, uh, um, I, let's look at Matthew chapter 11. You guys know this verse. You've read this many times, I'm sure. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 38. Look at this. <clears throat> 28, sorry. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to point out to you that there's people that he's talking to, okay? He looks at people who have come to him and says, come to me. I, it bothers me because I don't, I want to know what he's talking about. It's like if, if in this room, you guys came here tonight, and let's say Jesus says to you, come to me. You'd be like, okay, how many steps further do I got to, does the, when does the blessing begin? If he's saying, come, what's he talking about? What if there's a guy standing right next to Jesus, and Jesus says, come to me. What does that guy do, like this? <laughs> like, what's the, where's the proximity of the blessing? In other words, Jesus is talking about something different than approaching him. We think that it's approaching him because we just, we think that way. But when you look at it real practically, what in the world is he talking about? And so let's look over at John 539. You see, that one was, if you come to him, you get rest. But in John 539, he says the same words again. 
Rest is free in that last verse. Rest is free, but it comes by coming to him. And coming to him is not taking a step towards him. There's something different that he's talking about. So John chapter 5, verse 39. Look at this one. Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Now they've already come to hear him. That's why he can talk to them, because they already came to him. So it's a different thing that he's talking about. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me. But you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. If I was a Pharisee and I was there and Jesus said, you're unwilling to come to me so that you'd have life. I'd be like, I did come to you. I'm right here. That's how I can hear you. I came to you. I hope I've established my point that coming to him is something different than taking steps towards him. Are you following me? So let's look at what is it to come to him. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. What does it mean, Jesus? What do you mean come to you? You speak in this riddle. Well, if you look at Jesus being the completion of the Old Testament, the one who knows it all and wrote it all, then you can see he's pulling from his previous speakings. He does this constantly. And this one he takes from Isaiah 55. Look at this. Ho, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in, the, in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Jump to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor my ways your ways declares the Lord for as high as the heavens above the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts you say Eric what what is your point Jesus is pulling their minds back to Isaiah chapter 55, where he calls out to everyone to come to him specifically in this way. Recognize you need me, whoever thirsts. Thirst is recognition of two things, need and desire. Have you ever been thirsty? You realized you needed water and you wanted water. Jesus is saying, this is what coming to me is. Recognize your need for me and desire me. In other words, recognize who I am. To realize who Jesus is has only has many uh, effects, but two of which are I need him and I want him. So Jesus is calling their attention to this. So thirst is need and desire. And he, he gives himself to them as supply, life supply. Look at what it says there. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? In other words, they're wasting, wasting their lives because they don't recognize who Jesus is, the one who really satisfies. He says, listen carefully to me. This is full attention and wholeheartedness that feeds the soul. Yet he feeds you with, as you're attentive to him. Incline your ear, come to me, listen that you may live. And then he speaks of the new covenant. And then if you think of him calling attention to this chapter, then you see why he says this to the Pharisees who don't believe him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. I'm right here. He's trying to tell them, I'm right here. Seek me, look for me. What does that mean? It means give unto him your full attention in faith and trust, recognizing the value of who he is, what he is, and recognize your need 
and your, your desire for him. As a matter of fact, turn over to um, Matthew, or, sorry, John chapter 7, verse 38, and you'll see Jesus doing this again. It's just incredible. John 7, verse 38, Jesus says this. It says, now on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, do you see what he's doing? He's personifying Isaiah 55, if anyone thirsts. In other words, if anybody can recognize that they need me, if anybody can recognize that they desire me or that I'm desirable, if anyone thirsts, he says, come to me. Let him come to me and drink. Look at this. He who believes in me. He who believes in me. So Jesus is putting two things together. The coming to him is believing who he says he is in value and wonder. He's the creator of the universe, dropped down into human flesh, standing in front of them. If you believe me, who I am, that is coming to me. Praise God. But they will not believe who he is. And then if you look over at, at John 6, 35, you see the same thing again. Jesus says it here. He says, I am the bread of life. Praise God. He who, he who comes to me, will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So you have full satisfaction promised by Christ if you'll value him and recognize your great need for him. This is what it means to come to Jesus, to realize I need you so bad, and I want you so bad. I realize who you are, and I believe it. And it looks like this. It looks like saying, yes, you are the magnificent, glorious God of heaven and earth, and you have come down to me. Therefore, I believe that value. I realize how badly I need you, and I want you so bad. This is why coming to me can be associated with prayer, because prayer is the language of the poor. <laughs> prayer is the expression of dependency. Prayer is saying, in essence, oh, God, I need you so bad. Prayer then matures from God, I need you so bad. And never, you never leave the place of needing. We never graduate from dependency. But then this other side starts to grow. And I want you so bad. Yes, I need you so bad. But Lord, I also want you so bad. That's coming to Jesus. Praise God. And now, what does it look like to come to Jesus? Turn over to Luke. And this will be the last thing I say here. Luke 10. What does it look like? The first point was, what does it mean to come to him? I think I've established that. And now what does it look like? And while you're turning there, I'm going to read you a quote from Matthew Henry. He says, come to Jesus. The fountain opened, the rock smitten, part with puddled waters and poisons of the earth and come to the joy of heaven. Praise God. Praise God. So Luke 10, this is what it looks like practically. Verse 38. Now, as they, Jesus, was traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Do you see what she's doing? She's responding to Isaiah 55. Listen, that you may live. Listen, that you may eat what is good. She's valuing him so much that she comes Quote, to him, believing he is who he says he is, wanting him and longing for him enough to lay down at his feet and stare up in his face. This is what it looks like. So Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Notice where the preparations came from. They were her preparations. And, and 
her preparations and she came up and said to him, look at this, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? That's so funny, isn't it? She looks at the God of heaven who dropped down out of heaven into the restrictions and frailties of a human body to save rebellious, sinful mockers. And she says, do you not care? <laughs> In other words, when you stop looking at Jesus, your view of him is askew. Then, Tell her to help me, she says. Now her, her, prayer is, her prayer is about other people. She's trying to get God to look at something instead of just looking at God. Mary's looking at God. Martha's trying to get God to look at something. <laughs> but the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried. Here's the origin of worry, getting your eyes off Jesus. <laughs> and bothered. Here's the origin of being bothered, getting your eyes off Jesus. <laughs> about so many things. Here's where multiplicity comes from. When you leave the singularity, the single eye upon Christ. But only one thing, one thing, only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen, chosen. It's a choice. The good part, there are many parts, but this is the best one. Good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What does it look like? It looks like that. Valuing Jesus enough to recognize he's the highest in the room. Valuing Jesus enough to say, it doesn't matter to me what anybody else is doing in this room. What matters to me is you. That values him enough to say, I want to hear what you have to say about everybody. Uh, I want to hear what you have to say, not what everybody else has to say. I want to, I value you so much that even things that I can do for you take a second to you yourself. I desire you, God, above all things. That's what it looks like to come to Jesus. Praise God. That's why when you come to Jesus, believing who he says he is, valuing him and recognizing your great need for him and giving him full attention, that's why you get rest doing it. Why? Because re he says, come to me. I'll give you rest. In other words, he's saying, come to me. I'll do the rest. You can trust him. You know, I read the biography of Andrew Murray. Anybody know that name? The great South African teacher, Andrew Murray. Oh, I love his writings. If I, if I could recommend to you a couple of his books, Humility is a classic, outstanding work. Another one called Like Christ. Oh, it's just, this guy writes like from, he's from another world. Well, I was reading his biography and he's dying. He's, he's on his deathbed and he's surrounded by his, his uh, three daughters. There was one daughter he was really close to. As a matter of fact, he would write many of his books by pacing back and forth, praying in the spirit. And his daughter would be on the typewriter just waiting. And then he would lift his finger when he felt something from the Lord. He would say, write this. And she'd, isn't that really cool? I love stuff like that. So he's dying on, on his deathbed. The other two sisters go away because they think he's going to survive through the night. That daughter, that's his favorite. That's always close to him, always by his side. She stays by the bedside and he wakes up coughing. He's dying. And she looks at him. She knows this is the last moments of his life. And he looks at her and he says, one last statement, the conclusion of Andrew Murray's life. He dies after this. After this statement, he breathes his last. He says, God is worthy of trust. He dies after that. The last words of the great South African evangelist, God is worthy of trust. Why? Because if you realize who God is, you know then that worry is the seed of atheism. When you realize who God really is, then you see that fear is an assault on his character. It's an insult to his character. And you realize that works is an insult to his gospel. And you realize quickly, oh, you realize real quickly that sin is insanity. 
when you see God for who he really is. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? Let's just ask the Lord to let these things drop into our guts. How many of you want it to drop from your brain to your blood? Yeah. And don't you love the word of God? Man, it's electric. It's, I, I, you know, I, I pray, I pray that those of you that are here tonight that have been struggling with reading the word, it hasn't been, it's been like chewing on an old rope instead of bursting grapes in your mouth. I pray that tonight something shifts and changes in you. You know, when I was, I was 16 years old, I went to the Brownsville Revival. I was going back and forth at this time, all the time. And I did not have any desire to read the word. I just wanted to worship all the time. I had no desire to read the word. And I, I went to Dr. Brown, who was a theologian. And he was praying for people that were falling everywhere. But I went to Dr. Brown and I said to the Lord in my heart, I said, Lord, I need to love the word like this guy loves the word. He would rattle off scriptures. He memorized 20 scriptures a day for several years. The guy loved the word. So I was like, Lord, I need something. I need something. I want to love the word. So Dr. Brown reaches his hand out. He puts his, his hand on my stomach and he goes, hunger. And I felt something go in, like into my stomach. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that was weird. The next day, we had to wait in line seven hours, eight hours to get into the service. And I open up my Bible. Oh, man. And I start reading the book of Genesis. And I can't stop. I read 19 straight chapters. And my mom is like, what? You're reading the Bible? I'm like, man, mom, I can't stop. I love the word so much. It was like, it was different. It was alive. I pray that something happens to you guys today. Even if you're, you're like, I, I got I to gotta read the word. Not I have to read the word. Not I got to get in my chapter. No, no, no. I crave to hear your voice, to see something of you today in the word, to, to recognize what your eyes are like, what your, 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 your heart is like, what the sound of your voice is like. I pray that that's what it would be. Even if you, even if you just do one chapter a day, it'll be the highlight of your whole day. You sit there and you're reading, you're eating it, and you're meditating upon it. You take it with you throughout the entire day at work. You just memorize a scripture. I, I took a scripture on the way here and I had a two hour drive from the airport and I, I memorized the scripture on the way here, just kind of keeping it around in my heart, praying it out and memorizing it. Psalm 511. And, and it says, if I can't do it right now, that'd be embarrassing. But I memorize it. It says, uh, it says, let all those who trust in you rejoice and may they sing for joy because you defend them. Let all those who love your name rejoice in you. Praise God. Praise God. So, Father, I thank you for the Holy Ghost who's present here. I thank you that you are interested in the internal life of everybody in this place. Even more than external manifestations, you desire to own the internals, their passions, their affections, their desires, their will. I pray, Holy Spirit, even right now, something of hunger would burst up on the inside of them uh, uh, like, a, like a, a, a sparkle, a snap, crackle, pop. In the word of God, I pray. Lord, I pray for hunger for your presence and hunger for your voice. Hunger to know you. A seeking, like David says, with all my heart I seek you. A panting, like David says, that my soul pants for you as the deer pants for the water. God, I pray for that kind of seeking, that kind of hunger. Lord, I pray, Lord, for the kind of seeking that David says when he says, my soul, it pines for you. It suffers out of desire for you. Uh, the, the hunger that David says when he says, my soul clings to you, Lord. I, I cling to you. I, I, I latch, I attach myself to you because I want you so bad. Lord, I'm asking for that today in every heart. If you, if you receive it, just put your hands in the air. Just put your hands in there and say, Lord, do this in me. Give me a hunger. Give me a real hunger. 
In your precious name, in your, in your precious name, Lord. Real hunger, God, real hunger. Hunger, hunger, hunger. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, amen, amen. You know, while I was praying, I saw the, the, the bride in Song of Solomon. It's in chapter eight, verse five. She says this, she says, uh, it says of her, who is this uh, coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? <laughs> and I just saw that picture that God's gonna do that with you guys. What does that mean? It, uh, leaning on her beloved. In other words, it's dependency. She, she comes from the place of the wilderness, the solitude. She comes from solitude with God, leaning on God, so much so that those that knew her don't know her anymore. She's changed. She has such a transfiguration, a transformative dependency that has happened in her life because of being alone with God. I remember reading of, uh, of Angela Foligno, uh, it says this, that she often forgot to eat because she felt God so vividly and found such delight with him. Praise God, I pray for this, this capturing of the affections, the capturing of your desires, that other things would die, let other interests die, and we would enjoy the Lord to the highest degree. Praise God.